Welcome to My on Mondays, an explorative approach to the possessive my through narratives, art, and sound. Each Monday brings a new creation and unique perspective. My on Mondays is brought to you by Ming Studios, a contemporary art space and international artist residency program dedicated to the exhibition, experience, and exploration of arts and culture. Along with exhibiting artists from around the world, Ming also serves the community by hosting innovative programs including performances, workshops, screenings, readings, artist talks, and other cultural activities. For more information or if you'd like to participate in My on Mondays, you can visit our website at mingstudios.org. Hello and welcome to the 76th episode of My on Mondays. Today we have the second of a two-part series by memoirist, poet, and essayist Rebecca Evans. On March 26th, Rebecca released her new memoir in verse, Tangled by Blood. For her book launch, she staged a poetic performance, a wonderful collaboration between herself and the Boise, Idaho-based dance company Off Center Dance. In this episode, we get to hear about that collaboration in a conversation between herself and dancer Kelly Brown. Rebecca's work reflects, among many things, fractured relationships. This fracturing influences every subsequent relationship, carrying scars and wounds throughout one's life. Evans weaves disability, domestic violence, and a fight for survival throughout her narratives, hoping to start conversations, create awareness, compassion, and tolerance. In addition to writing, she teaches creative nonfiction at Boise State University and mentors high school girls in the juvenile system. In her spare time, she co-hosts a radio program, Writer to Writer, offering a space for writers to offer tips on craft and life. Her poems and essays have appeared in Narratively, The Rumpus, Entropy Literary Magazine, War, Literature in the Arts, The Limberlost Review, and a handful of anthologies. She's also co-edited an anthology of poems, When There Are Nine, a tribute to the life and achievements of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This, as well as her new book, Tangled by Blood, are both available from Moontide Press. To learn more about Rebecca and her books, you can visit her website at RebeccaEvansWriter.com. I'm Rebecca Evans, and I am sitting here in conversation with extraordinary performer Kelly Brown, who, I'm not sure why, but we're going to find out, agreed to embody and perform my poems in my memoir in verse, my collection of poetry called Tangled by Blood. And I'm so excited to talk to her because this, um, this body of work was truly a purging and healing for me in so many ways. And when I decided I would put it in the form of a book and put it out in the world, my one hope was it would go do some sort of mission and make a difference in the lives of people. So when Kelly and her dancers decided to take this on and perform the pieces um, to offer some reprieve, because some of the narrative is very difficult, number one, I was so thrilled and humbled and honored but it had an impact on them. So Kelly, um, I just want to start off and go, why <laughs> did you think this was a good idea? 
That's a great question. So um, when I received the email from Ming uh, that there was an artist that was interested in having dance involved with poetry, I actually have done other projects with poetry. And um, it was a busy time. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it. And I remember talking to you and saying, hey, why don't we meet and see if what I'm able to do for you is what you want? And I, I wanted to get a feel for what you were interested in having us do. And so when we met, you're an amazing person. And finding mm. out about the work that you do with uh, female youth, finding out about your story, finding out about your experience as a veteran, finding out about you raising dogs for vets. Um, I was like, oh, I won't say the word I said in my mind because we've had this conversation before. But I said, well, I have to do this. In addition to that, um, I'm an aging dancer. And I also know myself really well. I um, have moved a little bit out of the modern dance field, a little bit into different fields in dance. Um, But I've always been really interested in narrative. Whenever I talk about what I'm interested, it's about telling a story or having a purpose behind it. Sometimes we just have movement for movement's sake, but really um, having a purpose behind it and then having your story behind it felt like something that was a calling. The last work that I did was um, not similar, but in some ways it does have some similarities to it. So it was about my family. It was about Mm -hmm. the women in my family. It was about um, generational trauma. So I saw parallels um, but when we finally decided to do it, and as dancers, I know we've had this conversation too, but mm-hmm. um, when we sat down and read it, your ability to take and condense the words into um, imagery and other senses of smell, of touch, of remembering was very succinct. And I felt like that's what we try to do as dancers. We don't have the ability to have these long conversations with people and, and you know, tell them what we're, you know, that's more what theater does, right? It tells a story and then you're using your body with it too. Dance has to do it in very generalized terms. So I felt like it was a really good um, marriage, for lack of a better word right now, or partnering of um, both of our art forms together. And you, I think you used the word reprieve just a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's interesting because I don't think of us as a reprieve. I think of us as um, an echo. Yeah. I was just going to say that yeah, word. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So like, a, like if, you know, the, the rock falls in the pond, you've told the story and the we're ripple. just kind of this echo of, or, mm-hmm. or ripple of, of what you just said. And um, I know we've had conversations at rehearsal that maybe this is a different way for people who interpret art in and in maybe they're visual and so that's what speaks to them and so that this is another way that your work can hopefully have an impact on people yeah I think echo is definitely a better um a better term I think of I think of the work like when people hear the words childhood sexual violence I mean almost every time I say my book is about they cringe right just a little because it's so uncomfortable. And so the beauty in movement, even when it's difficult movement, you can see that's painful. There's a different kind of beauty in visual art that's offered that I think we absorb in our bodies differently when we bear witness to it. 
than hearing words. And then some words have no impact because mm-hmm. we've heard them, you know. Hopefully they're hearing my words in a new, fresh way, you know. That's what you want as an artist. But oftentimes um, we have our own association with words and our own association with, you know, when you see a film. But when you see the body of a dancer moving, that is a different form of art. And so I feel like when I was saying reprieve, I was thinking the audio reprieve, that when you hear a difficult story, you need to breathe a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so the movement in your performance allows for that. A processing time. But yes, a processing time. But there's still... It's the ripple effect also of what I would say, you know, the conversations that continue to linger in the bodies of victims. The conversation keeps going. It interrupts all their other relationships, their ability to trust, their ability to, um, you know, move forward in some cases, their ability to heal. So I feel like that offers, the performance offers that as well. Like, yes. You think the story's done being told, but we're going to show you in a different way. Absolutely. And that's and what happens. And a visceral way, right? Like, yeah. Like, how do you feel it in your body? Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking when you were talking about manifestation of trauma in the body, and um, I was listening to The Body Keeps Score, mm. and oh gosh, that's he an discussed, book. and in Mindsight, another book from another author about how our brains... Um, process movement like we reflect other people's movement and I think that that's really fascinating I think that when I at least when I see other people moving in their bodies I sometimes want to react that way and I um there's some difficult parts in the dance too you and I have talked about this that there's a scene I play the mother who um Mm -hmm. and I'd love to come back by the way to the idea we had that we had that conversation about um all of these People that you're talking about in your poetry are actually a reflection of different parts of yourself. Yes. And I thought that was fascinating. But yeah, um, we'll talk me, about yeah, that. Yeah, let me get back to my, my uh, track there. But um, that I play the mother and the conversations that we did with group choreography with Lisa and Maddie, who were going to be having our performance. I'm sure this will come out afterwards, but that it was really a collaborative effort. A lot of times in the past, I've set pieces on dancers, meaning that I choreograph the dance mostly ahead of time and then tell the dancers what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. But we really had some in-depth conversations. And I know I told you about one of the sections that I do where I asked Maddie, we were having this conversation about how, you know, like I said, well, the mother is restricting and pushing and manipulating um, Rebecca. And um, we were kind of having conversations about how parents do that. And she reflected that idea of how her dad, and we had this conversation, as I said, mm-hmm. um, her dad used to hold her by the back of the neck with his fingers on either side mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. push them around. And I said, well, I said, how do you feel about trying that? And we did it. And it immediately made me sick to my stomach because I felt like I was becoming embodying her abuser. And mm-hmm. um, even talking about it now makes me want to cry. But yeah, me um, too. But um, trying to be authentic to what your story is, trying to honor it and reflect it, but also, um, you know, trying to communicate something to people. If I didn't think dance is a way I could tell a story or help somebody else out or help someone recover from their own traumas, then why am I doing it? Right. Yeah. I, I think what, what the audience needs to know, too, is there are three characters mm-hmm. in the 
book. Well, really four. There's the narrator, the now narrator, which is really me now, hopefully, the speaker who has grown up and is wise and looking back on all these experiences. There's the younger me, and that's who Maddie plays. And that's who you referred to, whose neck you grab by the back of her, the back of her neck. There's the mother, that's who you play. And then there's the adopted sister, Tina, who's older than the younger Becky. Um, And Lisa plays the part of Tina. And so each of you are playing really a role of these voices in this book, right? Um, And that, what was interesting to me was the first time I came to rehearsal after the choreography was all done. So I was like, you guys do what you feel, right? In your body, how you interpret these. And then I showed up for rehearsal to just watch. And I felt like I was watching my story again. And... It took me a little while, like a couple hours to absorb it. And then I went home and I hid under my blankets and I cried in my little cocoon in a good way. It wasn't it wasn't negative, but it was just a surreal, like, this was my story and is my story. And it's, it's in me, but now it's going to be in the world. And these other women have taken it upon themselves to share my story. And um, it's just so powerful and a really healing and surreal moment for me when I saw it for the first time, like the whole thing start to finish. Yeah. Amazing. It was amazing. They're both amazing women too. (laughs) (laughs) All of you. Yeah. Um, Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and I I think there's, they say everybody has trauma and I think there's definitely different levels of that. And Mm -hmm. so the discussions we had together as dancers, as a group, we processed a lot mentally as we were going through this choreography of um, what does this bring up for mm-hmm. some of us um, and how to try to heal or to look at that, you know, because sometimes we push it behind us and hope that it disappears. And then a project like this where you think, you know, maybe they, they joined thinking, oh, I'll get to dance and, you know, do what I love. But then it's, really about reflecting on our own experiences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's what your work is trying to do right there. It's an example in the close community that we've created of what we hope to have happen in bigger rings. Again, that idea of ripples that that maybe this all through these different mediums can start conversations and processing for other people. Yeah, I love that um, what you as dancers, what you established at the end mm-hmm. with the stone or mm-hmm. the, the um, crystal, you know, represented in the center of a circle, everybody sitting around and kind of decompressing and debriefing, I think military style. I almost want to say, you know, like a decontamination t- chamber. Mm. <laughs> I like that. I yeah. like that. I felt like okay, we got to go through our decontamination chamber and like let go, you know, almost shake it off. All the things that that, those words and the movements too. The movements. Come back, right? And are back in your body. So then the body's holding those stories again Mm -hmm. in a different way. And it might not be your story exactly, but unfortunately this story that I'm telling is too many. Absolutely. Too many stories out there. Of children and gender aside, it's not just about no. women. I I have received phone calls from a lot of men since I'm a veteran military man, mm-hmm. um, 
who, you know, are my friends and acquaintances that are like, yes, I've had similar experiences. It's just, we don't talk about that. And I'm like, I know this is why this work is important, you know, but thank you for trusting me. Yeah. Okay, we're both crying. <laughs> Sorry, we need tissues. I do have to say, I love that um, when you wrote to me after coming to watch the first time, that that was one of the moments that you were reflecting about because um, dance has its own rituals, you know, the coming into rehearsal, the focus, you usually have a hierarchy um, in dance and this this process was very different. I don't, we have, I don't, I can't remember. There's probably been one or two others in my long dance career that have any, have had any kind of a component at the end of you call it decompression. Um, and we, and it actually came about because one of the dancers had requested a moment at the end to do some kind of movement to release all this stuff that we had done. And I, w I thought that is such a fantastic idea. Let's make this a ritual that we do every time. Um, and then Lisa, who is um, our wordsmith of the dancers, <laughs> she um, is a is great at creating ritual. And so she brought the rocks. And then I, I think we just sat on the floor as mm -hmm. like dancers just because. And then you said at one moment, well, let's all touch knees. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is perfect. <laughs> we were sitting crisscross yeah, and I'm like, let's and it, touch knees and connect. And yes. it, but, but that everybody contributed to the ritual mm -hmm. was oh, the best yes. part. Each yeah. of us had a moment of how are we going to come together and create a healing space too for all of us mm -hmm. um, and to make this, um, yeah, make this something where we're united. Yeah. My hope is like maybe if there's book clubs – that at the end of the book club, they could sit on, the floor, sit on the floor and have their knees touched. They could light a candle in the middle, sit <laughs> crisscross applesauce, knees yeah, touching, yeah. and just like let the story go, let it yeah. out of their body, however Absolutely. they need to. I mean, well, and know that they they can draw energy from other people. However mm -hmm. you perceive that, you know, right. however wooey you are, that there's other people <laughs> that want to want to touch you and and care about you. Yeah, and want to include you in their story. One of the things we were talking about, and um, and it was later, it was after I, I had written the book, I was, I journal every morning, and I was writing in my journal how, um, when I was really trying to honor my mother's perspective of things, there's, mm -hmm. there, all of these um, are written out in full scene with a lot more of her story and her own heartache um, wrapped around like these little bitty narratives that are in, you know, it's just you're getting us a, a speckle on the page of pages and pages of pages of me trying to gather her perspective because I was trying not to villainize her. I haven't, I purposefully haven't asked you about her. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I don't, maybe that's part of that reluctance of really wanting to know, like how can someone that, is meant to protect you. Yeah. Her, I mean, I only have my perception of Absolutely. an answer for that. Absolutely. But I think in her own brokenness, mm -hmm. and and we're talking, you know, when I was dealing with, um, I had 10 years of this sexual trauma in my life from the age of five to about 14 when I left home. So nine years. But that time period to date myself, um, 
you know, child sexual and protection services did not come into play. They did not exist until like 1975 or 76. So I would have been on the like cusp of that. And it wasn't really widely available. We lived in, you know, Cedar Lake, Indiana. Um, the, the services just weren't there to support women who were in domestic violent relationships whose children were being violated. There was no place to turn. There was no reporting system for the doctors. So even though the doctor knew, there wasn't anything that he could really do. There was no place, right? So you have to think of the time frame too, and that makes a difference. So we're looking at it through our cultural lens versus the culture that existed at the time. But that's important. It's still important documentation of what was endured because there's so many people my age that went through that absolutely, and aren't talking about it and it has impacted them. And so to, to open that door up and just say, you have a safe place, now you can talk about it, we can make a difference, continuing to move forward, um, what more can we do other than to offer sacred space for each other? I find it fascinating that for the reading you took ex excerpts from the book, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. yes. And the very first passage that you selected was really about her being a, vi a victim of domestic violence. So you're setting up um, for the rest of your story, which I see this as your story, is that it's generational mm -hmm. and not providing excuses, but providing a better understanding of the situation of, of your family dynamic. And, and I, I thought by choosing that you were providing a space to have some empathy for her too, even though mm -hmm. you didn't maybe, I don't know. I'm, yeah. I have, we haven't talked about this except yeah. right now, Yeah. but that, that she didn't protect you. And that in some cases later on, and the hardest one for me is when um, the, th the third section where I take you to the doctor as, as a mom and, or Maddie or Rebecca, yeah. <laughs> little Rebecca, um, and basically tell the doctor that, you should that you shouldn't be believed mm -hmm. and worse things yes. horrible things and um so uh, i just find that very fascinating that you started with that section so that we have a better understanding of who she is yeah but i really i i love uh, hopefully i'm not giving anything away spoiler <laughs> alert that that you do come out of it that you that that you are able to write this book and help other people through your experience yeah What's been interesting for me is I left home when I was 14. And so at some point, 20 years ago, I decided, you know, I would start working with um, young girls in the world of empowerment, right? And then that trickled into from being the director of Girls on the Run, which was a much younger crowd. And I felt they had a lot more support to working with high school girls in the juvenile system, very specific dynamic and really a demographic that I should have been part of. But hmm. instead, I went into the military, mm -hmm. right? So I really should have um, fallen into a different statistic much, much younger. I had um, attempted suicide more than once. And I had suffered with anorexia and bulimia, I mean, to a point where it was direly infected, you know, infecting me in a horrible way. Um, and I didn't fall into that. You know, part of it, yes, the military saved me. Part of it was 
my sister Tina, Mm -hmm. who gave me this light of hope that there would be someone who would protect me at some point. There were still good people in the world. Um, There was all kinds of different, you know, pivotal changes throughout. But I always thought my work with the with the juvenile system was about me healing me, Mm. right? My exit point. And then later I realized it was me maybe trying to save my sister because she left home when she was 15. And I was still, I was only 10 when she left, right? So I was still there for another four years, maybe five. And so I realized, or maybe it was me trying to heal both of us, right? But through my work, but that I have done that work for over, you know, almost two decades now. And just in the last two years, as I've been writing this book, I'm like, oh, this is why I'm doing this work. Yeah. (laughs) Aha. You know, I always say I learn so much from these young ladies because they're so brave and courageous and strong and smart. I see so much resilience in them. And I used to just say, if they have one person believing in them, I'm just planting a seed. And I just always thought it's worthy work. No one else is doing this. And then I'm like, oh, I get it. I'm healing myself. <laughs> well, I'm teaching them. <laughs> you were just you were just talking about Tina being an example of somebody who could protect you, and that that there yeah. are people out there that do that. And I was wondering. It sounds like from this conversation we just had that you feel like maybe you're able to provide, hopefully, a little bit of that for other people. Maybe I'm planting a seed. Mm-hmm. Like I think, yeah. I think when these. Um, when these young teens come to my workshop, number one, they're, they're court-ordered to attend. So they're not really happy to see me, and I'm just one more adult um, that maybe they feel judged by. But I make it clear, like, I don't read their rap sheets. I don't know why they're in my workshop. I don't need to. And I really am just like, here's some ways you can move forward. You know, um, I taught just this week our workshop. We made safety pin jewelry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So we put beads on safety pins and they could make rings or necklaces. But we journaled first about who's our safety net Hmm. and um, what colors reminded them of that person or people or place. And so these safety pins could be a reminder of they have a safety net somewhere in their Mm -hmm. life, even if they are their own safety net. And so Absolutely. That's what I was thinking when I was asking you about if you felt like that you were able to be that for somebody else, because I was thinking you definitely have realize that you are the person who can save yourself yeah you can be your the hero to your own story or the heroine yeah to your your, to your own story um we were talking about um in my in my journaling like aftermath when I was trying to sort through Tina's voice my mother's voice and then there was a point when I was really distilling Mm -hmm. my mother's voice which is the final drafts of the poems that you're embodying now. And I realized, oh, this is the voice in my own head. Mm-hmm. It's the things, you know, the critical editor of you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not big enough, you're not small enough, you're not old enough, you're not strong enough. Like all those things I tell myself or have told myself over the years. And I'm like, oh, that's my mother's voice. Um, but it's also my voice because it lives in me. And then there's vo- Tina's sweet, soft healing voice, her mothering voice. I'll hear that when I'm parenting my sons. And, you know, my mother didn't teach me that voice, Mm -hmm. right? But that voice is in me too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as the poet, like 
you know, it's you can't, as you know, like as an artist, you can't get away from yourself. Oh, absolutely not. Right? No, no. <laughs> no matter what. So you are in your performance. You're in, you know, as me, I'm in my words. You're in your performance. You There's pieces of you that are in, you know, everything that you do and touch. So I wondered if you could talk about that with like embodying the mother <laughs> and how did you pull that off? Because it's, it's funny. you make I, a really good bad mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we talked about this at rehearsal yeah. a little bit that I tended to be with our company. I always played the person, I, you know, I think I, movement wise, I'm an aggressive mover. I'm not a soft mover. Um, I'm my, I'm very tall. Um, I'm extroverted, and so I tend to be this kind of energy. A that's, presence, a presence. Yeah. I can be. Hopefully, I can. Yeah. I can uh, go back a little bit too. But um, and so I think sometimes, just like in acting, when people are selected for different kinds of roles, I think that's something that I'm able to embody, and I like. I love that word. Um, and when you look at both Lisa and Maddie, they definitely embody the mm -hmm. people that they're playing in your story too. Maddie's this beautiful young blonde who has this smooth sense of movement and um, self-awareness um, and a gentleness about her. And Lisa is a mother. Yeah. And the heartbeats. Yeah, the heartbeats. <laughs> the heartbeats. The heartbeats. Uh, we had a rehearsal where uh, we were experimenting with sound and I felt like we needed a change in one of the pieces because it was uh, Maddie or a Rebecca. Rebecca, the character, um, finding her own power. And so I wanted to change it from the sadness to something that yeah, I felt. Shift to yeah, shift the energy. Yeah. And randomly selected a song. And at one moment when Lisa was touching her heart and um, doing a movement with her head back to release and kind of a heart opening move, this beat started exactly with her. It was it was right? fortuitous it was, for sure. I was in the same <laughs> pulse. As and was, we all were like, what? what? <laughs> so great it was a great moment uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah dance dance provides a lot of that so yeah. yeah it was really beautiful okay so finish how you embody the mother but how did that feel to you oh like, I, t I told you earlier in this yeah. recording it felt awful because I don't think um I'm a school teacher a public school teacher mm -hmm. and I um I think we at least I have um really shifted my focus as a teacher of like here's the con that content that I need to teach and um, trying to keep a distance a little bit. I think, you know, you have to do a protection a little bit as a teacher because you just deal with so many people every day. There's this, um, a lot of kids who need a lot. Yeah. And um, to kind of a softening of trying to see them as people and how can I make this world an easier place for them. So philosophically, being an abu a physical abuser or an enabler of other people to abuse other people is really contrary to my personality. <laughs> yes. Um, Your value system, like everything you're about. Yeah. Yeah. It's it. Yeah. And, but, um, what do they say? Art is a, a, I don't know. There's a saying about art being the master of, of the artist. And, um, I really try to do to be authentic to the stories that I'm trying to tell. And people can tell if you're faking it and people mm -hmm. can tell if you're not being authentic and if you're just playing a role. And so when we were choreographing it, we were, that's why we had lots of conversations about this story, especially um, 
being authentic and trying to reflect what we thought would honor your story. And um, part of that is honoring some of the bad and some mm. of the ugly. And um, so maybe the shaking it off at the end is as much for me as it is for the other dancers. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you can't, you can't um, have this conversation authentically without displaying that side of it, right? Yeah. I mean, if we only, you know, it's like, could oh, I absolutely, really, absolutely. Could, it would be, you know, should I only tell this story? There were some publishers, lovely publishing houses that came back and um, said, listen, could you um, maybe soften the poems at the beginning of the narrative, mm -hmm. right? Which were the more, you know, the sexual, childhood sexual violent pro poems um, or the content. It's not graphic, right? But they're hard. Uh, and, or could you, you know, put some softer poems in the middle, right? In between those. And I sat with that for a while and I'm like, it, it's not an experience I want to soften because it wasn't a soft experience. Like mm -hmm. I, I know it's going to be a tough read. I'm asking a lot for the readers, for the audience to sit with this. I want the discomfort. Mm -hmm. And then in an interview with, uh, the Jewish literary journal, the editor of that journal said, this is what art should do. It's supposed to be disruptive. It's supposed to do this. It's supposed to make you feel. And I was like, yes, he gets it. Um, do I always want to, I mean, this isn't all I write about. So do I want that out there all the time? No, but I do think it's critical. So one of my questions is, um, is what's a lesson you've learned mm -hmm. along the way? And the second question What's your hope for this work that we're doing? Okay, lesson I've learned in this specifically. Um, well, this is a selfish response. Um, <laughs> I'm not interested in doing work anymore that I feel isn't going to going to benefit other people, and um, especially Amen. in my modern my modern work. Um, the other work I do is related to specific culture, and that's an honoring of that culture too. But it's mm -hmm. a different. It's it's not a narrative. Um, necessarily. So as I get to be an older dancer, I only have space in my body to be able to do so much movement. And um, I want it to be important. I don't have a lot of time left I as a mover. Um, what do I hope will go with this work? Is that what you said? Yeah. What do you hope for this? Oh, I just hope I, it's already done what it needed to do. I don't, I don't think, mm. I mean, if I, we wanted to impact people. We impacted you, hopefully. Yes. We impacted ourselves. Yes. Um, and I think if we can do that, even in our small little um, community of, of artists, that somebody else is going to have that for them, too. And that's all I can hope for. Yeah. And that's why I want to end, because that's my hope, too, is that this book has its own mission. And I'm going to cry talking about this, but it has its own life. And it's mm -hmm. already done so much work, in my opinion, you know, reaching the three of you as dancers, but also just really the process I went through getting the story out of my body, like finally and on the page. I, I feel like I've been altered on a cellular level. It's been super amazing for me, just personally, emotionally. If that's the only job it did, I feel like I can bring more light to the world just by having delivered this, birthing this book out of me. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm so, so grateful for you, Kelly, for taking on this project. Here, we have to end the same way. You can't see it, but, but we end with our hands together just like they do in the dance. Yeah, that makes me cry. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. Kelly, thank you. Oh, Rebecca, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be back next Monday. Tune in.